this is Helen Chen, and you're listening to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the Master of Disaster, Josh45. What's up? And CBS. Well, it should be me. And today we're doing episode number 182. And books we're going to be going over is the uh, Reckoning War Trial of the Watcher, number one, from Marvel Comics. Uh, Rogue Sun, number one, from Image Comics. And then World's Finest, number one, from DC Comics, uh, the 2022 edition. Um, after all that, we got an interview with uh, Craig Russo from the uh, Rhode Island Comic Con. Uh, 2021, so back in, uh, November. So that should be pretty cool. Uh, he's the, uh, artist from, uh, Perhapanauts. He's done a lot of other stuff too. Guys, he's awesome dude. Uh, great artist, uh, fun guy. So that should be really cool. Uh, play that out. Uh, before all that though, um, you got any news over there, Josh? Got some news? Yeah. What's, What's in the, the news? news? What's in the news? What's in the news? So Donald Faison is set to be, um, or has been announced that he's going to be Booster Gold in the Legends of Tomorrow TV show for the CW. All right, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was listening to an episode of his podcast that he does with Zach Braff the other day, and Zach Braff wasn't on it, and they did a special. He also has this, like, a stop animation show that he just um, released on YouTube as well called Alabama Jackson. It's like a time-traveling Indiana, Black Indiana Jones. Right, right. And Harriet Tubbins is like his partner or whatever, and they go back in time to try to stop Woodrow Wilson. I think it's Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson from like, like stopping important things from happening. That's fine. The couple of clips we saw a little earlier were pretty funny. But he also like, said he wanted to try and get Zach Braff to potentially like he's like going to try his hardest to try and get Zach Braff to be um, Blue Beetle, which is hilarious. The Ted Cord version, yeah, because yeah. they already have the other guy on there. Oh, do they? I think so. I guess I haven't watched. I'm not current on Legends Tomorrow right now, so. But yeah, it'd be funny if they, I mean, if they managed to do, they managed to do the two of them together, that'd be hilarious, because all their scrub stuff is really funny. It's like, I, he also is the voice for, uh, Stormtrooper Gary from all the, uh, Robot Chicken stuff. And that's, so, like, he, that's why he teamed up with, um, Seth Green to work with the, which you were me talking before this, like we were, it used to be Stupid Monkey, but now it's Stupid Buddy Studios or something oh, like that. Oh yeah, they're in the production they're company or whatever. And company so, or whatever. And so yeah, and it's, it, the Alabama Jackson thing is just on YouTube. And I think they're just, it's basically like, they teamed up to put this out and get it like, to maybe get, you know, somebody to pick it up. No, so, that's cool. But they're only like th- little three or four minute episodes. Right. Well, he does a lot of voice stuff too. So like, it's pretty funny. So you've seen any of those Stormtrooper episodes with the Gary character, like that's who he is. It's the same, it's, it's Donald Faison. He's pretty funny. Um, see, well, as far as, uh, I got a little bit of news here. So, Marvel's, uh, gonna be reintroducing Jane Foster into the role of Thor. Uh, they're gonna be doing a new, uh, five-part miniseries called Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor. Uh, so it's, uh, apparent, from what, from what the write-up says about the book, uh, the hammer crashes through her front window and she, course picks it picks it up and goes back to being a thor to try to figure out what's why the hammer found her first and it has a whole list of bad guys in it hella and a whole bunch of them so i guess it's gonna be her and proper thor thor um and an adventure together which i mean timing for it's because of the movie happening but uh as far as the thing she's going back to the role so that's kind of cool 
Uh, they got Michael, uh, Downing, who's gonna be doing art for it. And, uh, Torin, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Gorenbeck is supposed to be writing it. So, it's a five-part miniseries. The covers look really cool. But yeah, so we're gonna get her back in the, uh, role of Girl Thor. So yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. That should be pretty cool. Uh, this is kinda neat. So, uh, DC's announced that, uh, Paul Dano, the uh, Riddler from the Batman movie, is going to be writing a six-part Riddler Year One series. Uh, it's supposed to start coming out in October. Uh, it's listed as being part of the uh, the Black Label, so DC Black Label. So it won't it won't be proper continuity because the Black Label, and that's kind of where they do their I don't know Elseworlds, whatever. But like as a thing, that's kind of neat. Um, the artist they have listed for it is a dude named Stefan Subic. And he's an, an Italian, or, uh, an, a European illustrator. So he hasn't really done, I don't think he's done anything for DC yet. But like, art-wise, he's got cool art style. So that'll be really neat. So, I mean, as far as a couple revelations or a couple new things, I mean, to my knowledge, Dano's never written a comic book. So that'll be kind of cool. And since it's like Riddler flavored, I mean, especially after following from his movie appearance as the Riddler, that's really neat. So I guess we'll see what that really is. I mean, flavor-wise, I imagine it'll be flavored like the Batman movies, but or the Batman movie. But as far as a thing, I mean, that's pretty cool. I think that's neat. I only got one other thing, really. They announced a new couple Captain America series, so we're going to have a uh, Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, which is going to star Steve Rogers, and is dealing with the idea of him carrying a dual identity um, as a Hero and then as a civilian, which, uh, his most recent batch of books during the Tanisha Coates run kind of introduced that idea as a thing. And apparently something in the series is also going to be revealed about this shield. Some secret that none of us have known and apparently has been a thing forever. So I guess we'll see what that means. Um, they got another one's going to be running in tandem with that. That's Captain America symbol of, uh, truth, which is going to star Sam Wilson. So we're going to have a Cap Steve book at the same time as the Cap Sam book. And both of them are going to run in tandem with each other. They make it sound like they're going to cross the books over, but I mean, the, being that they haven't started yet, so I guess we'll see. But the, uh, the initial write-up said that, uh, the two things were going to run in conjunction with each other, and so it would want to make sense if they eventually connected. They've got a batch of covers out for the first issue of the Steve Rogers book, and they're all like, there are a whole bunch of them, him like throwing the shield, so I guess it'll be interesting to see what that winds up being, um, as far as mysteries about things. So, the camp, the couple covers for the Sam Wilson book look cool too. The, at least one of them they draw them very like uh, Anthony Mackie, so I think that's neat. So, I mean, that's cool. That's basically all yeah. I really have for news. Um, one little funny tidbit I was reading today that um, James Gunn and Raja Raja Gosnell um, did a rated R cut to the original Scooby Doo film, and there's eight plus um, deleted scenes like that include. Uh, Velma taking her shirt off during the placebo effect scene where she's like, thinks that she drank alcohol and dances, dances, or takes her sweater off anyway and dances all crazy to, I think, insane in the membrane. And there's like a potential, like, girl kissing scene between Daphne and, um, Velma. That's just some of the ones that are like. Crazy. Yeah. So there's a supposed cut out, like, that they did of it. Which makes me laugh, and I think it would be hilarious. For the live-action movie? Yeah, the, the, yeah. Okay. Crazy. That seems the like... The one a, with, like, Freddie Prinze Jr. Yeah, and, yeah. 
seems like an awful long time from that happening to <coughs> well, James about Gunn, now. you know, is is hot stuff now. You know what I mean? Well, that's so. true. Crazy. You think you think something with that would have happened already? Well, it's you know, it's a uh, it's technically an urban myth, just like the Snyder cut was for a minute, and just like there's a supposedly a director's cut of the Suicide Squad film. And supposedly there's um a version of The Hobbit that there's only one film that <laughs> Topher Grace edited down all three all the lame parts of the three Hobbit movies into one film. So uh, that 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 one I can believe for sure. I mean, or it's easier for me to believe only because of the stuff he did with Star Wars, which was awesome. But yeah, I mean, I mean James Gunn had said that it's a thing. Yeah, it's well, the, the, the right. like the idea of ever getting to see it though is a whole different. Yeah, it's weird that the stuff that like. Because there's a, uh, gosh, this is not really news news, but recently clips of it showed up in a documentary about an actor. Who's the artist that that did the soup cans? Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. So Andy Warhol at one point made a, I didn't even mention this in the last episode, or some, some podcast I was on, I said something about this, and I can't remember which one it was now. Uh, but Andy Warhol made a Batman movie back in the 70s, like... And it's unclear if DC gave him permission or not, because some articles say that they did, and other articles say that they, they, they didn't. But it was only aired at, like, an art exhibit of his. Like, he made it, and it was on film films. This is back before anything was digital. I mean, we're talking the 70s. So the only place it was ever played was at the art exhibit. And I guess there's still copies of it that exist somewhere, because a batch of clips from it showed up in a documentary about the main actor that played the part that's a, a documentary, I guess, on Netflix, I guess, about the guy. So it, there's some pieces on YouTube, and they're just crazy psychedelic, like, layered images on top of images on top of images. It's it, it's crazy. And I don't necessarily think that the, the stuff on YouTube is probably not the way it originally aired, but, I mean, you never know. 1964. There, there um, you go. It was a black-and-white American superhero fan film produced and directed by Andy Warhol. Um, it was called Batman Dracula. Batman verse or Batman Dracula, just, yeah. Just Batman Dracula. Mm-hmm. That's the one. What a weird thing that that's not something in the world that people can see, but I mean, I guess if there's any full copies of it left anymore, Warhol probably has them hidden someplace in a closet somewhere and forgot about them. But I guess it did footage that showed up in the world that made anybody know about it was the stuff in that documentary. But yeah, it's crazy. So. I mean, there's that as far as urban legend stuff is concerned. That in the Fantastic Four movie, the very first one from from Sony, no, from Fox, which that thing I've actually seen. It was on YouTube for quite a while, but it's the only way it exists is bootlegs of bootlegs of bootlegs. And Doctor Doom's uniform looks very, I mean, it looks like a great cosplay. The rest of the movies were terrible, but that's why they shelved it. <laughs> so yeah, anyway. Anything else news-wise there, Josh? No, I'm just reading a little bit more about this. Um, it was originally a silent film, <laughs> and um, he went back and like dubbed a bunch of music over the top of it. Like, so maybe of, that trippy music is really real, then. Well, it's Velvet, the Velvet Underground, and yeah. Nico, a couple there. All those weird bands he did stuff with back then. Like, it's it's crazy. Like, it's it's weird. Like, like I said, I watched the pieces on YouTube that are there, but well, it's not very long, I don't think. So you may have seen what what is there. I mean, maybe. Because run, this is the running time is... I thought it was regular movie length, but I guess I don't... I think I read it last week or two weeks ago or something. The pieces that are on YouTube aren't very long, that's true. It's only 54 minutes. So. Okay, so it's just about an hour. 
what I watched was not an hour. But yeah, like I was saying, the pieces that got, that made anybody paid attention to this is because of that documentary about the actor that played Batman in it. And maybe also Dracula, from what I remember. Supposedly he released it in Canada as well, so like there's, I don't know why we wouldn't be able to find this somewhere. I, I think it's definitely doable, so. Yeah, I'd look into it. I have to put TF on it. Right. And you found some other stuff in Canada, so maybe. You can tell because have the CC logos in the bottom corners. Anyway, so yeah, we'll put him on it. Yeah, crazy nonsense. Andy Warhol, weird dude. Anyway, that's all I really have for news. Yeah. All right, I'm going to move into some books. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. I'm going to start with The uh, Reckoning War. This is The Trial of the Watcher. Uh, this is a one-shot connected to The Reckoning War, which is going on mostly in the Fantastic Four book. It opened up, with the, the first issue was an alpha, so they did an alpha book. Then all the other chapters for the story have been happening in regular Fantastic Four, aside from this Watcher Trial book. Uh, this guy's written by Dan Slott, and the art on it is by uh, Javier Rodriguez. And uh, when the book first opens up, um, we join Uatu, uh, surrounded by a bunch of other watchers, uh, being carried through like a crazy hallway. And like the whole time he's, he's yelling to his father, which is Icor. And he's like, you have to open your eyes, father. And the whole time his dad's got his eyes closed and like not looking at him. And so what they're doing is they're bringing him into this other room that is, it's basically just a white room with a crazy chair in it. And the chair has like clamps and a giant eye on top of it. And they tell it's the, uh, they, they call it the chair of all seeing. And um, what they're doing is they're punishing Iwatu for his transgressions inside of things on Earth. So him taking action and like interceding, which they're not supposed to do. They're basically getting ready to punish him by showing him everything that his transgressions have done if they didn't happen. So it's kind of an interesting like thing going on. And like... As a thing, we, we know in the Watchers, the whole job was always just to watch, and he wasn't supposed to interfere, but that's the only reason we know it exists is because he interferes. So, like, that's... He always does. Yeah, it's been a thing for, like, a lot of things. Uh, but anyway, so they strap him into the chair, and uh, they pinch his eyelids open, so he can't not look, which is pretty crazy. And then uh, we wind up seeing a bunch of, like, crazy colored cubes, like a uh, tile style, with different scenes in each one of them from different things that he was involved in. As this is going on, his father's like, see here where you did this, see here where you did that. And it's like showing all these different things that he was intermingled in and like like the coming Silver Surfer, the whole thing with uh, Nick Fury Jr. So the, uh, suck, what was it called? Original Sin storyline and like all the deals he made and... As he's talking, he's like, well, this is for the better good of the universe. And he's trying to explain, like, why he made the choices he made. He's like, uh, my recent activities have been more f- for the understanding, and, and it's the better choice for the world. And he's like, now we're going to face the reckoning. You don't understand. We need to work together because we're going to face this reckoning. His father's just like, yeah, no, we're not going to, we're not going to deal with any of that. And so as this is going on, as he's telling him, Watu, you think me blind? And he opens his eyes and he like shows this display of characters and different scenes. All like, it's kind of like a giant, I don't know, it's, it's like a whole group of different characters sort of standing next to each other, but that's not really what's happening. And like what it is, is a, a whole match of different what if stories. Cause like we have the Fantastic Five where Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four. We have the 
Doctor Doom, Sorcerer Supreme. We have a Wolverine, the Vampire, where he's holding like he's holding Jean Grey's body, but he's got his vampire teeth. So it's like a bunch of these scenes are from like old What If books. Because like one of my favorite ones of those is What If Wolverine's Lord of the Vampires, and that's straight up what that scene is is emulating. And so like we come to a point where he shows him a What If uh, the Watcher had helped or had been uh, connected to Galactus differently. And then he tells him, what I'm going to show you now is you removed from this scenario. And so we see like a shot of Galactus, and then we see a shot of Iwatu fading away. And he says, so what if you were wrong? What if you never interfered? And that's where we move forward to the like, title page, and then we go through uh, kind of a recreation of certain things, because we wind up seeing Earth as it was with no effect from Iwatu, right next to if it was. And we have a crazy voiceover going on through this whole thing, explaining his choices and the choices he made and how they were supposed to be the best choices. And we basically get to relive the Silver Surfer finding Earth. And in the process of finding Earth, we see Watu watching. And he's like watching Reed Richards make decisions. And ultimately, he elects not to do anything. Then we cut to the Fantastic Four. And we have Reed cooking dinner with Sue and just normal, like, Fantastic Four stuff going on. And as is happening, like, family stuff. Uh, as it's happening, eventually they get a call from Nick Fury, and Nick Fury tells Reed he needs to take a look at something that's coming through coming through space. And, like, from there, Reed takes the family, and, of course, they start to use a giant telescope on top of the Baxter building, and he sees a silver surfer, and they all kind of try to decide what to do about it. And while this is happening, like, Watu's father keeps talking to him and winds up playing the part of the narrator. Uh, but the surfer comes, and then the surfer meets the Fantastic Four, and initially, of course, then the Thor try and talk to him like, you know, they don't know if he's good, bad, or whatever. Um, but he starts talking about how the, the destruction's coming, and so, the, of course, the thing winds up clobbering him. It knocks him through a whole bunch of buildings, and Giant's like, oh, look at that, he's out of here. And uh, Sue's like, Benjamin, you shouldn't be doing, you gotta, can't do that. And he's like, whoa, you don't understand, Susie. He's being, he's being a jerk. And so, like... Reed's like, well, we don't really know what his intentions are yet. And then from there, we see the giant floating orb ship that is Galactus's descend just above the city line. And out comes Galactus. He makes his announcement that the, his journey's ended and he's going to use his plan to sustain him. He seems extra small in this. You know, and I don't know if it's... As far as his size, like, I guess I, you'd have to go back to those original books. In my brain, like, the covers, he always looks huge. Mm-hmm. But other than, like, retelling of the stories, I'm not really sure if I've ever seen all of the inside of that original book. You know what I mean? Like, I know the story, but I know the story from other books. Right. And from uh, from retellings of it in other, in other, like, series. So I don't really know, like, how big he was when they drew him. Because, like, the orb is giant. I mean, it's huge. But when he comes out, he's not bigger than the skyscraper. So, like, that's kind of weird. But, again, I don't really know, like, positioning the world it may just be a way to draw it and make it fit. But I don't know if it's uh, if it's because of when he originally showed up he was smaller or not, as far as any of that goes. Anyway, so Galactus basically tells him he's going to start eating the city. or Well, not eating the city. He tells him that the, the four, he, he makes a proclamation that he's going to sustain himself with this world and... Starts sending out little drones to harvest things, and then, of course, the four is like, well, we can't let that happen. So they take the fight in him, and even then, like, the thing, they all look small, but, I mean, they don't look like, they don't look as small as I think they should. 
Anyway, so they take the claw, where, like, the thing starts hitting him in the legs, and Johnny's shooting fire at him, and Sue starts trying to make, uh, four shields around him to contain him, and, and basically he just throws them all off the roof of the building. Uh, Reed, of course, you know, creates a, changes himself into a trampoline situation to be able to save them, or catch them falling. And then we return to the, the watcher in his chair being forced to watch what's happening, and, uh, his father tells him, look, Things are happening no different than they would have happened in the first place. And the watcher tells him, well, there's no place, there's no way, or Watu tells him, that without my help, there's no way they can succeed. And then we join, um, oh gosh, it's Ben Grimm's girlfriend. Alicia. Uh, Alicia. And like, for a second we see Alicia and she's sculpting things, and then we flash back to the Silver Surfer, who's been crashed into a car, who's all just on the side of the, on the side of the road, like that's where he finally landed after going through three or four buildings, when the thing uppercutted him. What well, says that, Initially, like the watcher interfered and made her him land inside of her apartment and showed her showed him how to like care about humans and right and things like that. And said he landed on the street and where he had had to just deal with regular New Yorkers. Right. So his whole like learning that humanity was good never never happened. Uh, but we come back to Galactus and he's like, "I'm starving to stave off my hunger." And he's activating all of his mechanics to go and just start harvesting the city. And Sue and Johnny are still there. The thing climbs up to try to fight again. And uh, Reed's like, oh, I could probably do something better if I could just... I need, to t- I need to talk to an old friend. And so Reed basically goes down to the Baxter building and starts doing science stuff, talking to Nick Fury on the uh, computer screen, trying to figure out a way to stop Galactus. And while this is all going on, like Sue's in there trying to stop the stop the machine from being turned on. And yeah, she's put, she put a force field between like the connectors. Right. And... Johnny's shooting with fire again in the face, and of course, Galactus just eye beams Sue, and the eye beaming Sue basically blinded her and messed her up real bad. And then, uh, just, of course, Johnny takes the torch and everything, and well, that causes problems. It's not enough problems to stop him, um, but Galactus finally decides that they're really a problem, and he summons a couple of his little foot soldier things to show up. And I don't feel like I've ever seen these things before, but I mean, I mean, they look, I mean, they look kind of cool. But anyway, he summons one of his little foot soldier guys to come fight, and of course the the thing is a bruiser, and this thing seems to be a bruiser, so the two fight for a couple minutes, and eventually the surfer shows back up, and he takes out Johnny, or starts trying to take out Johnny. And, uh, you know, now blind, the Sue's blind, she's still trying to do things, but she can't see anything, so her trying to aim her powers or cause force shields isn't going so great. Um, and we rejoin Reed, who's down in the lab, building a weapon. And now if you don't no, the original story. The original story, Watu gives plans to Reed Richards for the, a gun called the Ultimate Nullifier, which winds up being like, if you think about Men in Black, the noisy cricket, it's the same idea except a gun that could kill Galactus. Tiny gun that built right, which Reed can do because he's a scientist, um, is something that Galactus would be afraid of. But as a thing, since the Watu never interceded, at this point, Reed's having to try to build something himself. Uh, then we rejoin, you know, Watu, and again, he's talking to his father and trying to explain to his father, like, how much better the things would have worked out. And that without, uh, without both of his interferences, the, the Fantastic Four, they never would have stopped Dr. Doom either. There's all these other things that if he hadn't gotten in the middle of that would have gone way worse. In the process, we come back to the fight and Johnny's trying to check out the uh, Silver Surfer and Eventually, the two of them kind of defeat each other, but the surfer returns Johnny's power on him and, like, turns him, like, burns him up real bad. 
And then, uh, because there's no one trying to stop him, of course, Galactus is able to connect the two power cables to each other and, uh, start up the, uh, Devourer, which starts tearing up the street. And, uh, we have, um, Nick Fury show up and he's, he's not, I don't think that's Coulson he's with, but it might as well be Coulson. Uh, but he's, they've got a bunch of the, uh, flying, uh, Corvettes picking up people, trying to save him, get him out of the city. And as the, uh, Devastator turns around, I don't think, I don't really call it that. I can't remember what they call that thing. Turns on, we see the sky goes all psychedelic and everything starts getting superheated and melting and Reed's still down in the office working. And even though he's, he's in the process of doing all that, he slowly himself is starting to physically melt, like, shape-wise, like losing his ability to hold himself together. And, uh, he finally finishes the weapon and the things up there still fighting off the little henchman guy and, Sue's found Johnny, and she's trying to make him feel better, even though he's all burned up and crazy. And uh, eventually, Reed gets back up to the top of the building, and he looks gross. Like, his face is all melty and all pussy and bubbly, and it, it it's pretty crazy looking. And very psychedelic. The coloring is super psychedelic. And uh, Reed yells to Galactus, I'm giving you one last chance to stop. In this or I'll end you. Galactus declines to stop, and so, of course, Reed has to shoot him. And as soon as he shoots him, like, it hollows him out all crazy. So the gun he built is equally powerful, if not more powerful, than Ultimate Nullifier would have been. And it kills him dead, and everything stops. Like, this guy goes back to normal. His body is a giant husk on top of the building, all hollowed out. It's crazy. And then, uh, the surfer we hear, and he's like, My master, you destroyed him. He's like, I'm finally free! So the surfer's super happy, because he's always been a, you know, a tool Galactus. Uh, but when we see the four, like, the thing's not in the best shape. Reed is still very, like, melty gross. Johnny's all burned hairless. And Sue's eyes are still destroyed. Um, so we return to the story with, where, where we see the watcher as if he was just to watch. And he watches the, uh, surfer leave the planet. And, uh, so we see the watcher watching himself, which is pretty crazy. I mean, it's, it's neat. Anyway, we rejoin the, you know, him and his father talking. And he's like, if you wouldn't have interfered, things would have come out exactly the same way. Now here's the, here's the, and here's the, here's the apex of the show. And we return to the four. And at this point, they're being given medals. Um, yeah, they're all still pretty messed up. I mean, the thing's got chunks broken out of him. Johnny's all covered in bandages. Reed's all gross, melty. And Sue's wearing a pair of glasses because she's blind. And, uh, they've all received, uh, medals f- uh, for saving the, the planet. And then we return later in life to them, and because of all their success in the world and the world taking notice of them saving it, the Fantastic Four has become a giant, like, I don't know, it's not like a giant organization, but they have, like, facilities all over the world. Like, we see a shot in China where they have a floating helicarrier, and we see a shot in Europe where they have a giant uh, Fantastic Four base. So, like, as a thing, they managed to propel the Fantastic Four as a organization to a giant, like a giant thing. And, uh, anyway, as they're all talking about the, the things that took it, what it took to stop Galactus and how it changed all their lives. And it's like, it's only been a year. I can't believe it. And like all these things have happened in the year. So the world's a lot better place or maybe not better, a safer place, I guess. I mean, the four has had a crazy effect on the world because of it. Then themselves are all messed up, which is still pretty gross. Uh, anyway, the Watu, of course, at this point, now it's a breaking point for him. His tears are streaming from his face. And he's like, no, no, no more, father, stop. And his father's like, I'm sorry, my son. 
this is your punishment. And uh, he basically winds up just leaving him there. And we see uh, Uatu as he watches the surfers fly away. And he's like, it's wrong, father. It's wrong. Because the four were never supposed to be dis- destroyed the way they were. Because then, personally, they're all messed up. Like, it's messed well, up. They're not destroyed. They're just, I mean, well, well things yeah. fine. But, like, Johnny got, like, like got burned from, like, him going right. hypernova. And then, like. Sue's blind, and then Reed Reed's face is all messed well, up. Well, his whole body's kind of melted. Yeah. Well, we see the uh, as they leave Awatu to watch by himself, the three of the other watchers start talking, and uh, we wind up seeing somebody hidden in the shadows, and uh, the someone in the shadows talks about trying to honor their deal, and we get a reveal at the end of it where we see basically Nick Fury. Dress, I mean, I don't know. He's he's got like a white hood on, and then everything else is just like regular shield shield gear. But he's uh he's a Nick Fury missing all of his hair, and he looks a little older than the last time we saw Nick. Now, granted, it's been quite a while since we've seen regular Nick Fury. I mean, last time we left him upon the moon after the whole killing and stealing Watcher's eye stuff that happened during original sin. So, like the whatever this is here at the end, this Nick Fury knows something about the reckoning war. Whatever this reckoning is coming. And uh, Awatu is trying to warn the other Watchers that the Reckoning is uh, worse than whatever it is that would have happened without his help. So, I mean, it's a pretty interesting book uh, as far as, like, a mixture of, like, what-if versions of things. It's it's interesting. Now, granted, since I, I haven't really read the Fantastic Four stuff yet, I don't exactly know how this fits. Um, so, by itself, as a one-shot story... I don't know. I give it a two and a half. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, if you're a Fantastic Four fan, it's probably got a bigger hold for you. And I like the four just fine, but they're not my biggest thing. So, I mean, the art's decent in it. It's a kind of classic style. When everything gets trippy 70s, like the coloring is so crazy, but it's like old school 70s coloring. It's crazy. Very psychedelic. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I give it two and a half. Um, Dan Slott's a good writer. It's Interesting stuff. But yeah, because I don't know how it fits into the Reckoning War, I guess uh, I guess I don't know enough to, to be sure exactly how this book fits. Anyhow, um, 45, what do you know about uh, The Trial of the Watcher? Um, give it a two-ish. Like, I mean, I know what they're trying to do with the art, make it all, like, make it look super, like, retro throwback. Right. Um, that was kind of cool. I liked that part of it. Um. We have a two and a, and two and a half, same as you. I don't know anything about Reckoning War, so... I thought it was interesting saying, basically, if he wouldn't have interfered, like, the Earth would have even been better off, because, like, they would have used that technology to, like, do all sorts of fantastic things and, like, make the Earth better, even even more so, even mm-hmm. though the Fantastic Four were damaged a little bit, but... Right, well, and they took the technology from Galactus, and that's part of what they used. So, I mean, it's an interesting, like, parallel, I guess... So whatever the rest of the reckoning is must have something to do with that, and whatever it is is supposed to be really bad. So, again, without having read the Fantastic Four books yet or the or the Alpha One Shot, the only thing I know about that is She-Hulk has a new power, and apparently she can see people that are part of the Time Bureau group, the the people Loki deals with in the Loki uh-huh. show. She can see them even when they're masked. How that's a thing, why that's a thing, I don't totally understand, but that's some power ability she has. So, I mean, I know she's in part of the other stories, and she's in a couple of the Fantastic Four books, but other than that, I mean, I don't know much more about what's happening in Reckoning War, so... There's that. I mean, as far as, like, a one-off issue, I mean, it's interesting enough. I just 
Like I said, I don't really know exactly how it fits. And there's one scene in there that like things that I didn't, I, I don't, I didn't quite understand. It was talking about like Sue Storm having like when Galactus burns her eyes out, um, and blinds her, he's like, well, I see that your powers are like derived from your eyes. And so that's why he blinds her. And I'm like, I never knew that, like, I didn't know that, I didn't know that her eyes had anything to do with her powers. Yeah, so I thought that was odd too. And there's just a couple little weird things in it that I was like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, like like I said, I'm not as far as the student of the four. There's stuff I know about them, but as far as their power set, I don't remember eyes being connected to it. But I mean, maybe that's a normal thing. I I guess I don't know that. That's more of a research kind of question. So yeah, I mean, that was just one thing. I was like, I don't know what her eyes have to do with anything, right? And then like Johnny turns into fire, so I don't know why he gets burned when he like goes. It's like supernova like that. I I was like, oh, okay, that's making sense. Yeah, the only way that makes sense to me is because the surfer is also using cosmic rays against him. So it's like the surfer managed to return the power against him and add his own power to it. But yeah, it's a little because of the way he's already flame, and we've seen him go supernova and be okay. So that that is a little weird. I just thought it was weird that like, so he doesn't burn when he's naturally on fire, but when he gets like super super hot, it burns him. So I was just, I thought, there was just a few things in it that I was like, I don't understand what's going on. Maybe it's, right. yeah, I don't know. I don't, like you said, I don't know enough about the Fantastic Four, I guess, to like understand that. Well, the thing that's weird about that is we've seen him in Supernova before. And right. I don't think this power level here is Supernova. I mean, I, I guess it could be, but the way he talks about it, it's not. And as far as the thing. He says it's like, I got to go harder than I've ever gone before. Right. Yeah. I, but, uh, Again, I don't know enough about the Fantastic Four to make it make sense, I guess. But I guess, like, the, the people that they're worried about is... They're using some the same kind of power that the Watchers have, I guess, but they're giving... They're using it to... I don't... Yeah. I assume it's to build into reality the other direction for negative things. But because I haven't read... Like like I said, I haven't read the the Reckoning stuff, so I don't really know. All right, so from there, move on to uh, Rogue Sun... And this is uh, from Image Comics. Uh, this, issues, uh, this book is written by uh, Ryan Parrott, and the artist on it is Abel. And that's that's all. As far as the cover is concerned, both the covers, the A and the V covers, are both really cool. So I like the covers a lot. Um, when the book first opens up, we uh, join us. We have see a cityscape. We've got two beings flying through the air, fighting each other. One of them is the rogue son. And uh, as he's beating up this other dude, the sword looks like Doctor Doom, kind of. It's a dude in a crazy cape with robot arms. He's basically talking trash the entire time. And, uh, he winds up smashing him down to the ground and he, he charges up again to go after him some more. And he's like, don't, the, as they're, as they're talking, he's like, don't worry, I won't make the same mistakes twice. And the city is protected by me and you've forgotten the city is protected by me. And so we learn that they're in New Orleans and that he is the superhero who's decided to be the protector of New Orleans. And, uh, as this is going on, we, we cut, to the, uh, street, and this is, uh, I don't think they say it's Bourbon Street, but whatever area it's in, there's a bunch of people walking around with a bunch of bars and stuff, so this probably is. Probably is Bourbon Street. But, uh, we see Rogue Sun fly above the sky, and, uh, we got a couple people there looking up, and one guy's like, oh my gosh, is that a super, that the superhero guy? And then the lady that's with him says, oh, Rogue Sun, yeah. It's weird to see him this far north of Bourbon Street, so they do say north, but anyways, that's where they're at. And he's like, uh, sh-. the guy's like, should we run for cover or should we hide? And she's like, oh, no, don't worry. 
Rogue's going to take care of all their problems, so it's not that big a deal. It'll be fine. Trust, trust me, it'll be fine. So they pay it no mind as if this is a normal thing for him to be out smashing around dudes in the sky. And uh, from there, we go back to Rogue Sun, who's now if, come into the building he smashed this other dude into. And it's like a old mannequin factory, so like a kind of burned out like warehouse district area. And he like, lands down the side there, and he's like, whoever you are, you can't hide from me. And as he's like searching through it, we see this other voice up here, which is the other dude he's hunting. He's like, you don't know much about me, and you don't know much about the Sunstone. And from there, all of a sudden, we see Rogue start having his hand glow all crazy, and, it, and it's hurting him. And we see his power start to sort of, like, fade away from his body, so we start seeing his face underneath his mask. And whatever's being done to him is being done by this other guy. And he's like, no, it's impossible. And he says, no, it's not impossible. It's unavoidable. And you see him, like, smash him in the face, and then punch him a few more times. He goes flying backwards against the wall, and... The dude who's beating him up, the guy that he was fighting before, the Dr. Doom-looking dude, basically just starts, not necessarily talking trash, but, like, reading him off like a, I don't know, a supervillain statement. He's like, in your last moments, Marcus, which is what our guy's name is, you'll know that you failed. You failed everything. And, uh, you'll know I am the architect, or the architect of your destruction. And uh, he's like, look around you, there's no one here to save you. No one cares for you. He's like, wait, how do you know who I am? Who are you? And he's like, I am all your sins made flesh, Marcus. And uh, from there, we see him grab him by the throat, and we cut away pretty quickly to uh, another shot on Bourbon Street, and some people just walking around. And uh, it's a guy and a lady talking to each other. And uh, as they're talking, we wind up seeing a giant explosion. And from there, we wind up finding Rogue Son outside with his uh, chest kind of smashed in. And we see his power, his the glowing light that was inside of him, completely fade away and go black. And uh, there's a kid there who's like, oh my god. And from there, um, the scene where we basically see him die, we cut to uh, Central City High School. Oh, Crescent, sorry. Crescent City High School. And it's one week later. And uh, we've got a dude with kind of long hair wearing a leather jacket and he's like, uh, Brandon, you do understand that uh, you were supposed to help me help finish that chemistry work for me so I so I take care of and keep you away from the bullies and we find out that he's put a kid in the locker that's like sort of a nerd kid and uh, the nerd kid was supposed to do his chemistry work for him and uh, the trade-off was for him not to let him get picked on by bullies, however this guy is the guy bullying the kid and he makes that pretty aware makes, makes him aware of that and he's like, oh, you're my best friend though He's like, best friend? You're kidding, right? He's like, no, no. Why would I, why would I want my best friend to miss out on... I was, he was going to get him a date for... That's the other thing. He was supposed to get him a date for uh, prom. And he's like, I'm not going to prom. He's like, no one wants to go to prom till it's prom time. And he's like, uh, what? He's like, why well, want my best friend to miss out on it? And he's like, your best friend? Are you kidding? Anyway, he pulls him out of the locker, and as he walks him down... Walk, walks him through the hall, like, I don't know, overlording him like, you know, a bully would... Uh, they wind up getting outside, and he's like, what if I just helped you learn how to do it yourself? And he's like, huh, why would I want to waste all your hard work? Um, and from there, we get distracted by a pretty girl, and uh, this apparently is it's somewhere before this story. Apparently, him and this girl had some kind of problem that had to do with a porta potty which I don't entirely know where that's from. However, there is a book called Supermassive, which is a giant crossover book 
that features this particular character and two other characters. So maybe it's from that. It doesn't really matter if it is or not, because it's just, you know, backstory for why she's mad at him. And apparently this was his girlfriend, and now at this point, it's hard to say if they're a thing or not. Anyway, she storms on past him as he tries to talk to her, and he's like, well, I don't know. The other, the other kid tells him, well, it looks like you guys are done after the whole party porter potty thing. And he says, oh, she'll come around. So she walks into the school, and the two of them basically walk down the steps, Byron and Dylan. Dylan's our main character. Byron's the kid that was in the locker. Um, from there, we cut back to home, and Dylan's um, rummaging through the refrigerator and tells mom that they need they need more uh, they need more mustard and turkey and cheese and the bread's gone green. So it, their living situation is not the best as far as like the food in the house. He's like, actually, mom, we'll do something else. We got to find something else that won't kill me. And uh, from there, she makes him makes Dylan aware that she he needs to come in the living room because someone's there to visit. And we go in there, and we have a dude, like a stuffed shirt and tie, suit and tie type guy sitting there. And she introduces him as Mr. Uh, Abernathy, and that he's with uh, Cotton and Sim- Simons, which is a law firm. And, uh, of course, Dylan's first reaction is like, oh, am I getting sued now from that kid? And she's like, no, no, Dylan, you're not actually in trouble this time. And he's like, well, and she goes, it's about your father. And, of course, from there, you know, his attitude gets more... I don't know, angsty teenager. And, uh, our man from the, uh, from the law firm informs him that, yeah, there's, there's gonna be a state reading, uh, you need to, you guys need to come to, and he informs him that, uh, Marcus Bell, the, uh, the boy's father has passed away, he was in a car accident. And, uh, he's, uh, you, you have my condolences, and the kid's like, okay, so, why do you need to see us? He's like, well, unfortunately, it's been a few days, it was a f- the funeral was a few days ago, but uh, you've been invited to a private reading of Marcus's will. So the father's whatever intents are, and something's coming to the two of them. And, uh, of course, Dylan's response to that is that he doesn't want anything from his father, and that he hates his father, blah, 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 blah. And uh, the mother's like, no, no, we're going to we'll, we'll go. We'll, we'll be there. And uh, she tells the that we'll be there. They'll be there on Sunday. And uh, so the law office man leaves. And Dylan's like, Mom, we don't, we don't need to do that. And she's like, no, no, I need closure, Dylan. This will be closure for us for this part of our life, and we we need to go to this. So then we cut to a few days later. It's time for the will reading, and the two of them are on their way to this giant, like, fancy, creepy-looking house. And uh, we've learned a little bit more about his father. So uh, understanding what, what happened, Mom and Marcus, there's the father, the two of them hooked up for a little while. They're, she was married to him, and then uh, they had Dylan. And then because of other things... She wound up leaving him, and then afterwards, the lady he remarried, which she initially says something about, like, she felt it was better that he wasn't ready to be married, and because of all of his other responsibilities, of course, she hasn't told him what the responsibilities are, um, but she felt like there was no room for family in that situation, and then, like, later on, he gets married to a lady who's very well off, and the two of them have a couple kids, so all this money and privilege or whatever, most of that was from her family, and then he, Marcus himself, reinvested, of course, very Bruce Wayne-y, um, except that the money comes from the mother side of the family. Uh, but from there, he's built an empire, so uh, as far as a thing, like, it's not like it's all her cash, it's like, he managed to take what was already well off and make it better. Anyway, so the two of them had two kids, and uh, Dylan and uh, Mom show up, and as they're walking through, he's like, oh, I can't even believe it, and figures this guy would be 
someone has a self-portrait and there's this giant picture of Marcus like painted on the wall, like classic rich guy style. And uh, anyway, the guy from the lawyer's office meets them and he's like, oh, did you have a hard time finding a place? And Dylan says, no, we just told the driver to look for the most creepy haunted looking mansion on the in in the area. And we got here just fine. And then uh, we meet the other family, so the second wife and uh, the two kids. Um, and anyway, the the mother or the other wife is Juliet Bell, which you know because the wife, and she introduces the daughter, which is Audrey, and the son, which is Brock. And the son's younger. Audrey is pretty close to the same age as Dylan. She actually tells him that she knows him from school, that she's seen him at school before. Right. So the two of them are very similar in age, whereas the well, she brings up is like, oh, you're the one that dated so and so. Yeah. And, uh, she, the brother, the younger brother is like, I don't know, probably like middle school and they're like high school. Anyway, from there we, uh, Dylan's like, well, let's just get this all over with. And so we join them in the giant room with a big table. And on one side we have Dylan and his mom. And the other side we have the two kids and their mom. And, uh, he takes to start reading the will and he leaves that Marcus Bell is leaving all of his money and the privilege, all of his money and wealth and all that stuff to Juliet, his current wife. And of course she smiles happily. And the Dylan's like, okay, that figures. Do we get anything at all? Like, why are we here? Because if this is all going to be about what you're giving them, I need a bathroom break. And the younger son's like, oh, you should respect what our father's done. And uh, the sister, the sister calms him down. And the two of them kind of argue about something else. And he's like, there's no way he gave it to you. And the sister's like, well, it makes more sense for me. So after the lawyer finishes reading off like the all the money inheritance, he pulls up this box and he says that the last thing is being left. The person who gets this will inherit the life of service and obligation. There must always be a light in the darkness. And so the last thing he leaves, Marcus Bell leaves the sunstone to my son, my son Dylan. And so we see both the other kids' faces, and they're, like, extremely upset. And it's like, I can't believe, what, you left, he left it to him? What? And uh, Dylan's like, I don't even know what this is. And so we see him open the little box, and inside of it there's this crazy, like, crystal glowing sun fueled power gym thing and Dylan's like I'm not even sure what this is and uh, we cut from there to a an auction happening at like some prestigious like I don't know art, art gallery art gallery and uh, they're auctioning off all kinds of different things and eventually as they're getting to the next item these guys show up wearing crazy metal masks like very uh, in like c- cool Cobra, suits Cobra and guns yeah, they look like Cobra Commander helmets entirely and uh, they're they're there for whatever the next item is, and they tell uh, the auctioneer that he's going to play one dollar, dear Bob, and not a penny more. And if anybody else tries to object, uh, well, we're going to slaughter everyone. And so uh, that like whole scenario happens in just one page, and we cut back to now Dylan, much later, sitting on the edge of the stairs to up to his his mom's house. And, uh, he's like, so you're, f-, and the mom comes out and sits down with him and he's, she's, he's like, how long have you known? He goes, that your father was a superhero? Um, well, from the moment we met. And then we get the backstory of how they became a thing at all. And it turns out that at one point, uh, because something was happening, she wanted to be pinned inside of her car and trapped. A drunk out. driver crashed into a, um, a trolley car because they're in New Orleans. Right. And she thought she was going to die and he pulled her out and asked for her number. Right. So he winds up saving her, asked for her number. From there, they hooked up, and then this is where we learned stuff about she felt like they there wasn't room in his life for family. So all that stuff happens here, actually. Um, but as they're talking, all of a sudden, we start seeing this the, the, the little gem start glowing in Dylan's hand. 
He's like, I don't know what's happening. What is what's going on right now? And she tells him, well, your father used to call it the call. The rogue son is needed, and when it's needed, the gym sort of leads you to where you need to go. And she explains the best she understood that when Marcus would use it, whatever it needed to do, it would tell him, and it would lead him to where he needed to be. And the son's like, well, this is our ticket to the big time, Mom. Being a superhero, this is going to be how we get out of the slums. And so she's like, I don't think you're ready, Dylan. And he's like, well, I'm going to go anyway. And so you see him grip the the gym in his hand, and he activates the rogue sun. And so we see him start to transform into the same super suit thing that his father had on. And we get all these crazy clips around him. It's a giant two-page spread. And we see, like, what looks like a caveman with a melted face, a number that says 217, and, like, these crazy old fiery, like, I don't know. It's like a fire, like a, a flower that's on fire. And, like, a werewolf-looking thing. And we see some crazy lady with a raven. And then we see what looks to me like um, radiant black. Um, it, because of the way it's colored, you can't be sure of that, but anyway, um, then there's a scene in the very bottom corner, it looks like knights and zombies with swords, so very evil daddy. So, it's telling us that the rogue son's been around a long time, and like, generationally, these must be memories from the other rogues. Anyhow, from there we cut back to our Cobra Commanders, um, thieves from the, uh, from the auction house, and the rogue son comes flying in there, and he crashes all over the alleyway and initially our guy our uh our thief is like oh i thought he was dead like that wasn't very like this is a your crashing wasn't very wasn't very well orchestrated and of course dylan finally gets up and he comes walking over there and he's like hey fancy dude put back whatever it is you stole or you come come along quietly with me or i'm gonna have to knock you around a bit and he's like oh please and, and the dude pulls out a sword that's got like a pink flame to it and basically starts swinging at Dylan and Dylan of course tries to throw punches at him and this dude just avoids everything knocks him down kicks him around a little bit and then eventually as they're fighting like Dylan tries to just I mean he's trying to talk crap to him is what's happening and the guy's like something's wrong something's off you're not behaving the way you're supposed to behave and eventually the, the guy tells him you know what I'll come with you I'll turn myself in I'll turn our whole gang in all you have to do is tell me my name and of course, Dylan doesn't know the guy's name, so he just continues to attack him. Then eventually, as that's going on, the guy's like, okay, this, you're not the same person. You're not the same. This isn't the same rogue son I'm used to. And he uh, finishes Dylan off fight-wise. He tells him, luckily, I'm into theft, not murder. And uh, then he winds up telling him that his name is Suave and uh, leaves him beaten in the alleyway, and they, they take off in the truck that had everything in it. And uh, from there, we cut to the very last page, where we have Dylan still on the ground, and uh, then we see what is, I'm sure, the ghost of his father. And he's like, you need to get up, you're embarrassing me. And that's kind of where the, that was exactly where the book ends. So like, this, I'm assuming he's an apparition inside the suit, like something he's seeing that isn't really there. Inside the stone. Right. Um, as far as like the book's concerned, art's pretty cool. It's a new superhero thing, so I know it's tied partially to wrote to uh, Radiant Black and uh, Radiant Red. So it, it's another piece in that same universe. Um, his costume looks really cool. I mean, it's very similar to like uh, oh I don't know. There's pieces that are sort of like invincible, invincible in here a little bit, and that's pretty cool. 
So, I don't know. I liked it a lot. Um, I give it a three and a half. Art's pretty sharp. Um, I mean, I like the way, I like the way Suave and all his little gang look. Like their, their Cobra Commander helmets. Pretty cool. But yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a good setup story. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the rest of it. But I mean, it's, like I said, it's got similarities to Invincible. Just like the styling of a teen hero coming out of high school and like what he is able to do. So yeah, I think it'll be cool to see the rest of it. Um, yeah, three and a half. Uh, 45, what do you know about the Rogue Sun? Mm, I give it a three. It's like right in the middle for me. Like, I like the character design. It looks kind of like, um, it looked more like Sauron, honestly, kind of. Whereas Helmet's got like all the points kind of like Sauron's from Lord of the Rings. Uh, it totally does. It's, um, he doesn't look like Cobra Commander. Swab does. The gang. Like his whole gang of people. Oh, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, so, okay. I'm, I'm talking about his design, his character design. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm the one that's a Cobra Commander because I know that's what I thought. That's true. <laughs> he like he specifically looks like the Cobra Commander from like the IDW like storyline before he got that one got killed and then the next Cobra Commander took over. Right. Because he was like very like like European debonair like socialite look. We wore all the like suits, not like yeah, like scarves and yeah. like, very European. Right. But yeah, I mean the art's really the the art art is really clean. I like the idea because I think that the the stepbrother or half brother, I guess, is like really angry that he didn't get the stone. So I think that he like has kind of a villain esque side to him. So I think that might come back come back to play come back and play out later, right? Um, like you know the the second wife like being as well off as she is, like like old South money. Is what he married into, and so like that could be. I mean, that, that usually means criminals as well. So there's just a lot to it. Like it, it, they could go a lot of cool ways with it. So hopefully they do. So yeah, first issue pretty fun. I mean, as far as series are concerned, like I said, I know it's got some connection to the the uh, radiant black and the radiant red stuff. But as far as like how they connect exactly, don't know. I mean, that supermassive book came out a couple weeks ago, so I probably need to read that to understand that better. But I don't know. For first issue, it's it's a pretty cool setup. It's a neat character. All right. Well, from there, you want to move into some world's finest. Do you want to tell me a story about the uh, world's finest, there, Josh? Yep, yep. So this is the new Batman Superman book, World's Finest, and it's written by Mark Wade, who's a fantastic writer, and drawn by Dan Moore. Um, this book starts off. It kind of time jumps a little bit back and forth, but uh, it says Metropolis, the not too distant past, um, and it you know it shows a really really well-drawn cityscape and then all of a sudden these green vines smash out of the city of, of the street and people start running and I'm like what the heck and uh jimmy olsen runs up to perry and he's just like he's like what's going on sir and he's just like oh everyone get everybody to the stairs get everybody out and like he's like oh everybody's accounted for and like except clark where's clark and uh when you see superman fly in and up on the top of the daily planet you see um Poison Ivy, and she's sitting up there and just like make making vines grow all over the place, and and she's like, ah, as with Gotham, the green will prevail, and she's like, but uh, at least the, it's sunnier here. It's more sunny here than back home. You see somebody yell, "Poison Ivy!" Like real, like Poison Ivy, and it's like, well, there you are. We were told this would draw you out, Soup Batman, and then it's like Batman and Robin swinging in, and Robin's like, uh, and Robin, hello. And thing is, is like, I don't know when this takes place. I don't know if it's just like going to be a one-off or, or like a, like its own series, like separately to timeline wise, but it's like this, that, that's def. It's Dick Grayson for sure. 
It's like Grayson right before he switches to Nightwing, right. his suit wise. And then, you know, Batman and Robin swing in and they like, you know, tie up Poison Ivy and Superman comes flying in and he's just like, uh, holding a little kid that had fallen. Batman's like, this is Metropolis, you're way out of your league here, Ivy. And then out bursts, um, out of nowhere bursts Metallo with his, you know, kryptonite heart. You know, Poison Ivy's are obviously there with Metallo to like take Team down, style, to yeah, take yeah. down Superman. He starts getting like, Superman starts getting weak and Batman is like, go ahead and get out of here, we'll take care of it. But Poison Ivy, um, kind of distracts him just long enough for Metallo to get up on Superman and make him weak. So Batman throws some sort of a defoliant bomb. It's kind of, kind of, it's kind of funny. Like I liked it, that, that scene just because it was like, it's, it's very like Batman, campy Batman. Like it's a defoliant bomb. Like it, you know, it kills thing. It kills plants. It's just like, I mean, I know that like Poison Ivy's one of his like nemesis, but like, right. come on. Um, I was like, Robin, hold your breath. It's like, <laughs> okay. So it's, anyway. it's very Batman 66 C. And she's like, she's like, no, just stop murdering the green or I'll do the same. And like takes Robin and kind of throws him off the, off the building. And so Batman jumps out and swings down to go get him. And all the while, like Superman is getting attacked by Metallo and I uh, getting weaker and weaker from the kryptonite heart. And, uh, this, this whole time, like, uh, Metallo starts talking about how, um, he can't be human anymore because he doesn't have a heart and he's, he's lifeless and, um, soulless and doesn't feel anymore. And, uh, at, he, and, uh, he's like, I would kill you with the green kryptonite, but I need it for my, to, to live. So, but there's red kryptonite, however. And he's like, and Batman or Superman knows what's up, what that means, which is like, it, it just has all sorts of crazy, crazy effects. Yeah. yeah. Like it changes in like drastic ways and like red kryptonite's kind of random what it does too. And so just, like, and it just keeps doing it while it's in the system. And so it's turned into a liquid. And because he's weak and because of the kryptonite, like he's able to stab the syringe into Superman's heart. And, uh, Superman just like goes crazy. Um, and, but just moments too late, Robin swings in and like, uh, with his staff and stabs it, which the other thing is like Dick Grayson never used a staff. So it's very like Tim Drake ish as well. Oh, that's good. You know what I'm saying? Point. Yeah, I so thought I, about that. So I was just like, he behaves like Dick Grayson, but that—that's true. Dick never really used the staff. You know, they don't ever really say which one it is. But they, they don't. But it, and it's cool because he—he looks really cool. The costume, it's the vintage costume. It kind of, but it's like a mix between like the last Dick Grayson costume, like when he never had the—he he had pants and no underoos anymore. But like in the a mix between that and the first uh, Tim Drake costume, kind of like right in the middle. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I haven't thought it's about that. It's a really cool, really well no, drawn like costume like, for sure. All of it looks amazing. I mean, yeah. Poison Ivy looks so cool. Yeah, everybody is. I mean, the artness is incredible. Um, and you know, Batman kicks Poison Ivy in the head, knocks her out, and R- Robin swings in and stabs the staff right into Metallo's heart and takes him out. But uh, by that, but it's already too late, and Superman just starts freaking out. And then it flashes back to Gotham City and uh, years before the attack. And it shows Batman sitting at his computer and uh, talking about Penguin. And, um, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, you know, I figured out where he's going to be. And he's talking to somebody on the phone as well, or, you know, communicating with somebody. He's just like, oh, the abandoned foundry. I can see them in- inside formidable. You know, this is a trap, right? And he's like, for me, yes. But, and it's, and it's Superman pulling off his, um, shirt and tie. And like he's in Gotham getting ready to help Batman. And, uh, Robin's in, in there hanging upside down over like, like a vat of molten something. And, uh, 
like metal of some sort, obviously. And then like the, what are the, what are the, the alien guys that wield the lightning? They're the, um, oh man, they're from the negative, yeah, the anti-universe, the cord, the cord. And, uh, which I thought they, those guys always looked really cool. Um, Their costumes are freaking awesome. And like the way they have Robin tied up is very death trap. It's like, it's like 66 death trap. Yeah, like, so it's got, like, the mix between the 66 kind of and, like, current day. Like, they do a good job in this book oh, yeah. with that. So he's, um, Robin's upside down, kind of talking trash to the penguin. He thinks, you know, he's waiting for Batman to come, but it, in, in burst Superman, like, the, the guys try to fight him with the lightning and, cause the uh, penguin had gotten, uh, a hookup with, from Lex Luthor on these guys to take out, help take out Batman. But, you know, they, they shoot Superman. He's like, oh, kind of tickles. And so Batman swings in and, and grabs him and he's like, takes out Penguin. He's like, well, you're not crazy enough to go to Blackgate, but you're, uh, or, or, uh, Arkham Asylum, but you're definitely going to, to at least Blackgate. And, uh, Superman, like, right as every, he's tying up Penguin and things are getting kind of out of hand. Superman, like, sees that one of those cord, cordians are, like, coming out of nowhere to take him out. And so, like, Superman, like, jumps in and saves the day and, like, and uses his cold breath on, like, freezes the guy. And he's like, you okay, Batman? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks, Superman. I realize we don't know one another well or that well, but you really had my back today. He's like, it was my honor. You do the same for me, right? And he's like, always. And we shake hands. And it's kind of, I think it's kind of showing like one of the first meetings, kind of a throwback. It's supposed to be pretty early in there. They're teaming up. Yeah. And then it goes back to the, the present fight and Superman is just going like going crazy. Like he's, his body's like just shooting off, um, energy and he's like heating up and, and Robin's like, oh my, he's burning up. There's something wrong with him. We can't, and like, what's going on? He's like, oh, Superman got stabbed by some, like, by something. We don't, we don't know what it is. And, uh, and he's like, some mystery man sent poison ivy to Metropolis. And that was the fine attack. And she brought a partner and it was Metallo. And he ejected this directly in Superman's heart. And he somehow found the syringe. Superman finally got it out. And he's like, Batman says it's, it's red kryptonite and that this, it's, it causes random trans transmutations. Sometimes they're very agonizing while each piece has a specific effect, but this cocktail, this has, this was a cocktail blend. So we don't know what it's going to do. And, uh, so obviously Batman has a plan and as Superman just keeps kind of going crazy and like flying, going all over the place and like there's explosions and just, he's, you could tell he's freaking not only mentally or not only physically, but mentally too. He's starting to have hallucinations and he's like, Batman's like, Robin, keep an eye on him so I can find him. I have a plan. We need to get somebody who's a doctor and is, can handle trans, transmutations. Right. Superman crashes into the ground after, after, you know, after he's flying around and he accidentally runs into a helicopter and Robin is able to swing in and save, save somebody that fell out of the helicopter, one of the news ones. And, uh, Superman turns into stone at one point or actually steel. I think he turns into steel. And he's like, oh, Jimmy Olsen comes up to him. He's like, Superman, are you okay? He's like, oh my gosh, you t- he literally turned into a man of steel. And then, uh, out of, you know, out of the smoke and the debris, uh, comes Cliff Steele, the, like the, uh, Machine Man. The, the Machine Man and, uh, Rita Farr, who's, um, the Elastic Woman, Negative Man, the radioactive energy creature. Yep. Uh, also known as the Doom Patrol. And they come in because they have, like, Kind of history on dealing with stuff like this. Well, they're, the professor Niles Calder, he's dealt with all kinds of crazy mutation things and Cliff's brain being the only thing that could survive from his car wreck as a race, race car, car driver. driver. Yeah. So like Niles Calder's who Batman calls and well, the Doom Patrol comes with him. So 
the Elastic Woman tries to hold on to Superman, but he breaks free, and he's and all of a sudden he just says, um, he's like, you, and he's like, Zod, I don't know how you escaped the Phantom Zone, and he's like, oh my gosh, his hallucination is getting crazy, and uh, he just starts like throwing cars and being all, doing all, like just just being insane and like smashing everything in sight, but somehow they get uh, Negative Man to go and somehow like counteract. The siphon part of the yeah, what's the, happened to him. Yeah, like the 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 radiation from the the red krypton. I can't really this. They can't get it out of his system, but they can at least neutralize it enough to to stabilize him, so they can get him somewhere to, to safety. And um, that but not right, right before Batman kind of like gets up to to Superman and like, hey, like we have to like you got, you got to know that you're hallucinating. This is what's going on. Like this is who I, that, you know. I know your name. I know your name. This this and then he does. You know, he says the same thing that he says to him in one of their earlier meetings. You know, he said he says, "Uh, I have your back always," and that's when the Superman knows, and uh, they get him to. Um, that's when Negative Man comes and like st- stabilizes him pretty much, and they get him to Calder Mansion in a uh, Midway City where the um, Doom Patrol is from, and they have him stabilized to an extent, but uh. Uh, as they're talking, right before we switch to the last scene, I'm going to go back to a little bit of something in the shadows that we missed. Um, there, there's some people standing on a rooftop. Oh, that's what it was like. Robin says, like, um, Lois Lane told me that she, she saw some, some figures in the distance. Right. Watching the whole thing go on. And like, you and me are trying to like, figure out who we, they were. We kind of think that it's death stroke. It looks like it, it's just shadows. But one person is a lot taller than the other one, and the one that's taller has like horns, which could be like Steppenwolf. And the other one is like definitely Deathstroke, I would yeah, think. Yeah, the sword on his back, the way it sticks up, it, if it's not Deathstroke, it's, it'd be weird. Right. And like, so. Whether it's Steppenwolf or not, I mean, there's a couple of bad guys with horns, but the way these ones point up, he makes the most sense too. And especially because, like, you, there's got to be a mastermind behind this, because, like, Poison Ivy and. Metallo? She, even at the beginning of it, she says, like, I knew that you'd, like, they said that you'd show up. So she says they said that they would show up. And so they're trying to get him to come out. Like, but right. They, but they didn't, they didn't, like, uh, figure Batman be in the equation. <laughs> no one ever expects Batman. <laughs> Although they should every time. And so, uh, as they're standing in, like, the mansion, Batman says, as long as we have Negative Man at our bidding, he, he's, he's no danger to others. Robin's standing there next to him, and he goes, I'm not worried about him. I'm worried about that Lurch is going to pop out because it's in a creepy old mansion. That's the second creepy old mansion uh, that we've done, done today. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because in the last issue. Yeah, Rogue Son had one, too. But Batman, this is where Robin, Robin's like, yeah, it, what concerns me now is who's behind this attack. And Robin's like, yeah, Lois said that he found some shapes on the Daily Planet rooftop that matched the one, the one on the syringe. And... Uh, Negative man looks at it and he's like, I thought so. We've seen that horned glyph and it's bad news. It's the symbol of and that, like, it, you, that we don't know. It's left at a clip. Dun, dun, dun. And then it goes into the room with, uh, Dr., um, what's his name? Niles Calder. Yeah, go in there and he's got, like, surgical tools, but they're, uh, they look like they're kryptonite laced to me because they're glowing green so it makes sense if they were yeah and robin looks at batman and he goes are you out of your mind like <laughs> so because they, they're gonna have to do surgery and pull that those, in order to siphon that, off that debris, him, yeah, yeah that, get that debris out of superman's heart so yeah that's kind of where the, the first issue leaves off it kind of leaves on a cliffhanger um i thought it was a good book 
you know, like I love Batman and Superman together. That's like my favorite thing. Um, I, I give it a four. The arts, the art is absolutely fantastic. Like, I feel like the st- the storytelling was a little choppy, so I didn't. That's why I didn't give it a little bit higher. Like how they're like, it doesn't it, jump jump kind of. It's a really really fast paced book. It's very in it. Just real. It's it the the fastness is almost too much. Like yeah, it's, there's it's a just, lot of action in it. But um, like I think that like if they could have written it differently, like whatever happens in the next issue. They could have broken it up and done some like flashback sequences and like what's going on and how they deal with it. Like, I don't know. They could have done it a little bit differently and like s- slowed it down. Not necessarily broke this specific part of the story into two books, but like the stuff that happens in the next book going into this. I mean, when, when it comes out, maybe we couldn't. I don't know. Cause I haven't read the next one yet, but right. Well, yeah, the second one's not out yet. But so, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it was really well done. The cover's fantastic. I know there was a bunch of different covers that you said that there was a Jerry Seinfeld one. <laughs> there, there is. That sounds really cool. This cover, I think is fantastic. It's got like, it's got Batman, and Superman right in the middle and it's, and Lois Lane kind of and Jimmy Olsen and like, so all the, all, all their like helpers and Robin and Commissioner Gordon and, Catwoman, and then it has some rogues gallery people. It has like Brainiac and um, Dark Sides in the background, and Joker, and it just it's yeah, it's a, it's a the cover itself has a whole lot of characters on it. It's, yeah, it's just it's a really cool it's a really cool cover, and like I think I think the book's going to be really neat because it it kind of it does just the right amount of nostalgia from like the bat the old campy Batman stuff and Superman stuff to like the new the new school way of like create like like I think it's I think it'd be a really cool book. So yeah, even the color scheme like. The Batman colors, they're the, the, old they're the blue and gray. So it's not, it's not the modern black or black on black or gray on gray. It's the blue and gray. So yeah, as far as time in the world, like where the book sits, it's, it's in the past, but interesting, like where it lands story wise. Oh, uh, yeah. You know what, man? I give it a four, two, four as well. <laughs> four as well. I know what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is a really fun book. But it is, it, there is a lot that goes on in it, and it is really action-y. So it'll be interesting to see, like, how the next couple books play out with it. But, like, the nostalgia for it's really cool, because the colors all match that. Like, the art is just so good. I mean, Poison Ivy looks awesome. Metallo looks awesome. Like, it's, yeah, it's drawn really, really good. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I give it a four as, as, as a score. Um, like the book a lot. It's, yeah, it's great. I mean, Mark Waite's a great writer. True. Always, you know, and Dan Mora, he did a lot of Buffy for stuff, and like the Welcome Back to Hellmouth, um, Angel, all that, all those. So a whole batch of those, him and George Genty probably, um, two of them tag team that book. The Klaus slash Claus book, the one that um, Grant Morrison that you got me into is like basically like a, a oh, the retelling of Santa Claus, the, yeah, yeah, the real tough Santa Claus thing. Looks like he did some Batman stuff. Yeah, he's kind of just been all over the place. Yeah, well, art-wise, it's great. Like, it looks, it's really good. Um, a book called Once in Future. Oh, yeah, from Boom Comics. Yeah. Makes sense, because it's also really drawn well. Yeah, there you go. The art's really, really good, so. I'm stoked on it. Like, it's cool that they, like, they switch back, because for years they did the Batman versus Superman thing. Batman v Superman. Right. But, like, well, you know, that was called World's Finest back in the day. Right. Batman and Superman, World's Finest. Uh, same kind of concept, but different titling, which I, one of the other, like, I think the one in 25s, you know, that scene that gets memed all the time with Batman slapping Robin, mm-hmm. or uh, there's a version where Batman's sl- slapping Superman, 
And he's like, it's Superman, or it's Batman Superman, and the other one is Superman slapping Batman. And he's like, it's Batman Superman, or Superman Batman, so it's the reverse of the two different things. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, there are, there are one in 25 covers, but yeah, they're funny because they parody that thing, just one smack and the other one because of the namesake. Pretty funny. Yeah, it's cool. It's just the throwback to the, just, you know, just the the proper dynamic duo, so to speak. Right. All right, well, from there, we're going to run the uh, interview with uh, Craig Rousseau. This is uh, from the Rhode Island Comic Con 2021. So we'll run that and be right back afterwards. Hey, this is Steve with Top 5 Comics Podcast out at the Rhode Island Comic Con 2021. And I'm here with... Craig Russo. Hey, Craig, I mean, I've seen your covers, I've seen your art... How did you get into the business? You've been doing it over 20 years, man. Like, how did you get origin story, short origin story, and go? Short origin story. Uh, a guy I went to college with for illustration had a friend who worked at Marvel who uh, who said, hey, here's the guy to send some samples to. Send him in. And uh, he ended up sending me over to someone at DC, which, which led to my first fill-in work on Impulse, and I've been busy ever since. Man, that was actually really, really, that was really quick and good. You like that? That's fantastic, huh? buddy. Well, what got, I mean, what made you want to do, what made you want to do comic art? I mean, what's your, I mean, the, so a little bit before the origin story, before the origin story. Uh, before the origin story, I mean, I, I grew up with loving comic books. I mean, friends and I would just sit on the stoop reading comics and tracing panels and, and uh, trading comics, and it was something that we always just loved, and I went to school for art, and uh, at first I wanted to do comics, and I thought, maybe I want to do something different. But then I kept circling back to comics because I just I love them so much. I love the idea of storytelling and being able to tell such fantastical stories with these these iconic characters. Yeah, man. I, as far as art stuff, I mean, you do you do regular pin stuff. You also do digital, obviously. What do you prefer? What do you like best art wise? Uh, you know what? Digital is easy because you can always hit uh, undo, um, and and you can you can get new techniques. You can you can try new things. Uh, I like to work traditional as well because that's what I'm used to uh, I will, I'll do a combination of both now I'll draw digital layouts print them out ink them traditionally and then uh, scan them and might do a little more work after that so it's a combination of both uh, do you have any inspirations is there anybody you follow uh, you know what um, growing up it was it was John Byrne Walter Simonson Arthur Adams like I loved his stuff when I first saw it Mike Mignola just blew me away, and that was kind of like, wow! And uh, to be working on Hellboy after, like, 20 years, I think is mind-blowing to me, so... That's really awesome, and, like, I, I mean, cover-wise, you have some young Hellboy stuff you did. So, like, as far as art stuff, do you have a favorite character you've worked on? I mean, it's like picking your favorite kid, it's a bad idea, but, I mean, is there one you like better than the rest? <laughs> I mean, that that's, uh, like, your favorite kid, like, Impulse. I love drawing it. One of my first big jobs was Impulse. Love drawing him. I love drawing young Hellboy. These characters have a lot of energy and, and excitement and wonder, and you can really uh, work a lot of expression. So, And my own characters, the Brappanauts. I'm, I'm biased because they're mine. So, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, and like for Brappanauts, as far as series as you've come through a couple companies with them, like where are we at now with Brappanauts? Uh, right now we're with, uh, with Black Caravan over at Scout Comics. We're reprinting all the old books that are out of print. In a new uh, unified library, I guess you can call it, and doing some new books there as well. That'll be coming out in the future. Awesome, man. We, uh, when Proud Dogs were coming out back over at Image, loved it. It's so good. 
Well, people want to get your work, man, and they don't go to conventions. How do they get your work? Uh, if you go to craigrusso.com, um, plenty of links there. I'll send you in the right direction to social media, art for sale, you name it. Awesome, man. It's so great. As far, as far as other stuff in the world, I mean, what else? I mean, you're getting ready to relaunch the Prappanauts. Do you have anything else on Horizon for for that kind of stuff? Uh, well, um, there may be more young Hellboy, depending on how, how uh, sales are. I can't say for sure yet, uh, or not. Uh, more Prappanauts. I work on a creator-owned book called Startup for Sitcomics um, that my friend's been publishing for the last couple of years. And I'm also working on another creator-owned book with another friend called Owl Girl. Uh, that should be coming out next year, I think. So, got a lot, a lot of plates spinning. Yeah, man, lots of stuff to watch for. <laughs> what is your go-to karaoke song? Uh, you know, I've never done karaoke. Oh man, never. If you had to pick a song, what song would you try to pick? If I had to pick a song. Uh, it'll probably be something um, easy to sing, I guess. Uh, you probably Mr. Roboto. Uh, that would be an excellent choice, sir. Excellent. Very good. Okay, so if you're stranded on a deserted island and can only take five items with you, what five items would you take? Um, well, one would be my cast iron pan, uh, uh, a knife, I guess. Uh, a good book, and I don't really know what that would be yet. Probably a Stephen King book, because I could reread those over and over again. So that's three. Um, uh, a, a tent uh, would be four, I guess. And uh, a sketch pad. Oh, uh, I need a pencil to go with that, so I'll get rid of the, uh, I'll get rid of the tent. Okay, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I like you playing with the rules, sir. I appreciate it. Very, very good. All right, so last one. If you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? Would, if I lived in a Fantasyland, would I ride a chocolate pony? Correct, sir. Um, I would probably start out riding the pony, but I would probably end up eating it. And then that seems to, to be it. something that happens, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there you go. Awesome, man. Well, Craig, I appreciate you taking time to talk with us, man. That's awesome. Thank you. It's awesome. Right on. I just want to thank uh, Craig again for taking the minute, minute to talk with us out there at the at the convention. Uh, like again, awesome artist, uh, fun guy. So uh, yeah, Prappanauts at this point is coming out from Scout Comics. So if you if you want to get into that, you should definitely look at it, look at look it up because it's awesome. See what from there. What'd you learn today, Josh? Mm, I didn't really think about it. I learned that Visible Woman. Powers through eyes, I guess. I don't know. There was, I uh, learned, yeah. learned some weird things, if they're real, and if not, they're not. Huh? <laughs> the Galactus is bigger sometimes, and smaller other times. Sure. So many random things. All, all Fantastic Four based. <laughs> what did I learn today, Josh? What did you learn today? Uh-huh. You know, man, that's a hard question. Really, let's, let's take a, let's take a deep breath and like look, look back on the episode. Let's just take a, <laughs> take a real look at it. I mean, the eye thing with Sue is pretty weird. And I don't, like, know enough about the Fantastic Four. So, I mean, I would be in the same category with you with that. Because it's not a thing I was familiar with, like, at all. 
So yeah, I, I guess if you burn out her eyes, she loses her powers. Which is crazy. Yeah, I was like, okay. I mean, it's still, it'd be pretty bad to have your eyes burned out anyway, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, um, you got any books to watch, Josh? I guess just World's Finest. I'm kind of a big fan of that. So. Sure. Man, as far as uh, other stuff coming out, like I don't have a whole lot on my plate. Read, read wise for new stuff happening. I mean, Detective Comics have been great. Uh, the backup stories have been really cool. Uh, so that stuff's been good. They're getting ready to finish the story arc, uh, dealing with the, uh, Arkham Tower. So that's pretty neat. The, uh, series with, um, Daredevil, uh, writer Chip Zdarsky, he's getting ready to move on to regular Batman, which should be really cool. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, not that I don't like what's happening right now. Uh, the stuff in regular Batman's been good too. I mean, as far as writers, like everybody's been on Batman the last, I don't know, like seven years have been great. So, but it'll be cool to see him take that over. Uh, if you want to preview like that style of thing with Batman, he's doing a series right now called Batman the Night. And, uh, closest thing I can describe it as being like the adventures of young Bruce Wayne. Not like as a kid, but like think like, uh, young Indiana Jones where, he, I mean, he's like a teenager, adolescent, I guess. Uh, but it's been pretty cool. So. I think that his Batman stuff, when we get to the regular series, will be awesome also. I mean, so far he's killing it over there at Daredevil. And as far as a writer, like he's really coming to a namesake lately. Um, But yeah, anyway. So those are awesome. Uh, I think that's all I've got, though. Uh, Anything else over there, 45? Uh, Just some action figure news. Um, So Boss Fight Studios, which we've talked about a bazillion times, um, they're doing some Popeye figures. So all 118 scale. Like they cool. got the Popeye. Yeah, yeah. They got the Popeye uh, license. Um, the Flash Gordon figures are obviously better than the next wave. I think is like the comic book ones, like the comic book, like the old school serial like look, classic styling. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Tarzan figures finally they those are shipping soon. Hopefully. So then they they have another license. They release some images from um, called Court of the Dead. It seems to be like a a sideshow property. Like, there's books about it, and then there's also big statues, but they're doing a 118 scale, like, action figure version of it. Which the first two figures they are pretty cool looking. Yeah, those pictures look awesome. Um, anything anything Boss Fight does is going to be bad to the bone. Like, they're just really good stuff. Like, it, anything. It's just super, super cool. But other than that, there was a ton of new G.I. Joe stuff that came out, like, since we talked last. Like, I know that you did a an episode without me right before this, but, like, it, it, it was, like... Since then, they've, they released that they're going to do like an actually transforming his tank. Like it's a, it's Megatron. That's a his tank. And right, it's the same size as the vintage his, his tank. And it comes with the bar- the vintage Baroness. Cause I guess all the new, from now on, for a while at least anyway, all the vintage figures that they're, that G.I. Joe are doing are going to be the original O-ring figures. Cause there's a bunch of O-ring people. Um, yeah, no, no. They've got at least, uh, they put a couple sets up of those, like a Storm Shadow Snake Eyes set, and there's a Storm Shadow Snake Eyes. There's a Cobra Commander Duke, and yep. then there's a um, Cobra Trooper, Cobra Officer, and then there's um, a couple other ones coming out. But the Baroness one coming out, Baroness will be she'll in the in the packaging. It'll it'll come with the his tank that turns into Megatron, but also like her her figure because the sets come with two carded figures, and then like with special packaging. So you, like right, it's the it's the old school package like. And this, her, she'll be on like a blister, like a old school GI Joe card inside oh, that's that, cool. uh, yeah. inside that pack. 
And then they just really, they released it like a bunch of mock-ups of, you know, the next, like was Zorana, Crimson Guard, quite a few other, like Dr. Mindbender. Oh man. Yeah. So anyway, there's a bunch of new GI Joe stuff coming out. Like it's, it's just kind of, it's going to be a crazy next year and a half for GI Joe stuff, which is really cool. Uh, most of it's going to be like the, you know, the, the 112 scale, the, like the six and a half inch figures or whatever. But, uh, other than that, man, that's what I got. Cool. Uh, Taki? Well, before that, you're getting ready to go to somewhere cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's already in a couple of weeks. Expect to be going out to the, uh, oh, the Anaheim WonderCon Comic Con, uh, here at the beginning of April. That's so. the first time you've gone to that one, right? True. You've been I'm, to quite a few, but that's the first time you'll be going to WonderCon. For, yeah, first time for the, for the WonderCon show. So. Nice. So that should be cool. I'll see what, see what we get from that. Nice, nice. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, we'll do one before that, but we'll hope you have a good time. Yeah. Be, yeah, be interesting. Go out there. Uh, it's a three day show in Anaheim. Uh, WonderCon's the other Comic Con put on by the San Diego people, so. It's like there, it used to be kind of like the other time of the year, right? There's like one summer one. Right. And this one, I mean, it's, it's April and then, uh, they're doing the Comic Con in July. I think that's right. No, St. Denver's in July. July you know, August. I don't remember what month it's in. But yeah, they do one um, earlier in the year and then one this summer. So, But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it is and at least get to go out to it. I've never really been to that one at all. So nice. should be cool. Yeah, that's it. Cool, cool man. Yeah. Tiki? No. Oh, man. <laughs>